Scott dared me this morning to start by saying howdy. Um, it's funny, you put on a pair of boots, and uh, all of a sudden people expect you to talk like a cowboy, and they start talking to you like a cowboy. And funny thing, I don't even really like horses. The thing I like about Kazakhstan is they eat horses. So, howdy. Giddy up, let's giddy up and get going with our morning. We're going to start with prayer. Uh, a couple things we're going to pray for this morning, pray about. So I want to pray for Andy Bench. He's a local judge. And uh, I want to pray for a, a young man. I guess he's young, Morse. Rodney, is he young? I'm assuming he's young. Rodney Holiday, a little church, a new church in Waxa, Waxahachie. Waxahachie, that's the cowboy pronunciation. Man, Victory Baptist Church, a brand new church that actually bought our old pulpit, the pulpit that I preached behind one time, the first Sunday we were here when I preached in view of a call eight years ago. This thing is massive. So we want to pray for him and pray that the word will be delivered from behind that big piece of wood uh, in Waxahachie. Let's pray. God, we want to lift up, first of all, a young man named Rodney Holiday, and I just want to pray for this new work in Waxahachie. Lord, um, just pray for, when we look back and what you've done in eight years and how you've uh, grown us and shaped us and matured us and how you've brought new people into the kingdom, new families uh, into the faith. We realize that it's the work of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word and as we think about the beauty of, of uh, Rodney and Victory Baptist, this new church buying this big pulpit, Lord, we just pray that, that, that the word will be delivered from behind that big piece of wood. And that it will be, then be walked in between Monday and Saturday, not only by Rodney and his family, but by the people, this new people that you are building and growing there. Lord, we pray that it will be a people that are shaped and grown not by um, nifty uh, schemes, uh, not by peddling of God's word, but that as men of sincerity, Rodney and hopefully other pastors at this church that are raised up will preach Christ. Thankful for the opportunity to have a, a little connection with this new work in Waxahachie. Lord, also we want to lift up this morning, I want to pray for Andy Bench. Uh, he's a, um, um, a, as you know, a judge in our, our context here in our community. Lord, I want to pray for Andy's faith. Just pray for he and Estelle and just pray that they um, can walk with the people of God just considering the important, grave t task of judging uh, here in Greenville. Lord, we just pray that by your, your grace and your mercy, you'll draw them into a people so that they are walking with the judge and that they are being grown and shaped and fueled and fitted that they'll be fueled by worship as Andy steps into uh, the office and then steps to the bench. Um, just thankful for his ministry to this community. Lord, we pray for his worship. Pray for his marriage. Pray that it'll be a picture of, of the gospel to his family and to those who know them. Thankful for the opportunity to know them and, and be friends with them and pray for opportunity to encourage them in their faith. Lord, in these next few minutes, we want to just turn this time over to you and just pray that you will be glorified and enjoyed and pray that the Alpha Deacon will be on display as we climb into your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
I looked back over my notes the past few years. We've had, I think, four deacon appointments in the last eight years. And um, I like to look back over my notes because I like to kind of have a sense of where we've gone considering deacons. And every single time I've preached on deacons and we've appointed deacons, I look back and realize that I've sort of dealt with people's baggage right off the front, right off the bat, assuming that everybody has baggage. And while I know that a lot of people do, oftentimes people who grow up in the church may carry some sort of stigma attached to deacons. And I realize this morning I don't want to deal with the baggage. What I want to deal with right off the bat is I want to share a little testimony from the point of view of a boy that grew up in the home of a deacon. And it's still, my dad is still a deacon. Uh, From our earliest days, we were, um, I mean, I remember our weekly engagements with the church. I grew up in, in Alexandria, Louisiana. We, we went to church in Pineville, Louisiana, at First Baptist Church, Pineville, and a very traditional church setting that I still treasure and uh, we still uh, enjoy when we're home visiting my folks. Um, from my earliest memories, I realized that I saw deaconing. I had a front row seat to see deaconing um, and what it looked like biblically, what it should look like. I over the years, I've enjoyed the things that my dad is. He is, is a retired veterinarian now, but when I was growing up, growing up the son of a veterinarian, you get to see some pretty cool things. He was also a zoo vet, so I got to really see some unusual things. And I remember one night on a New Year's Eve or something like that, putting a pin in an alligator's leg, just me and my dad in, in his surger, surgery, um, just some weird stuff like that, that over the years, I've enjoyed that about my dad. He's a great father and great husband. Um, But here at the age of 44, looking at my dad through the lens of the Scripture, as much as I enjoy who he was and is uh, as veterinarian, as father, as now as grandfather, I think what I enjoy more than anything, and it may be given where I am this morning, I enjoy who he was and is as a deacon. I remember from my earliest memories going to church, like I said, we don't use that language here. We're part of a church, but back in the day, we would say going to church. Um, I remember my earliest days, us being the last two or three cars in the parking lot. Every Sunday, we would leave the building, and because my dad was visiting with other people and ministering to them, catching up with them, seeing how they're doing, shaking hands, praying with somebody, maybe helping with something there at the building, we were usually the last of two or three cars to leave from the parking lot week after week after week. And what I saw there is I had a front row seat to seeing a decontent to the people of God. And it didn't just start, stop and park there on Sunday, but it spilled over into the week, Monday through Saturday. It was not uncommon for us to have an occasion where we might go visit an elderly person or we may go visit a needy person. Uh, and even to this day, if we're home visiting my folks, my family can attest to this, my dad's either taking us or he's going by himself to go out to minister to somebody. Saturday, just yesterday, we were visiting with my family, Friday and Saturday, and my dad's making peanut butter sandwiches to take to somebody that hadn't eaten in a couple days. And then he's bringing him out to his house to help him around the house so that he can kind of minister to him and spend some time with him. And then and even now, a front row seat to what deaconing looks like, tending to those within the body and tending to those opportunities as they're brought to him and to the church in between Sundays. It's a wonderful opportunity to see what deaconing should be, a ministry to God's people, and a ministry 
to needy people that really has equipped me or left me feeling like the word is a sweet word, the word deacon. Like the word is an honored word, the word deacon. When I was approached in South Carolina about being a deacon years ago, I remember what it meant to me then, and I remember even still as an elder what deaconing means to me. It's a treasure because I think I had a sweet front row seat to it and one that I uh, appreciate to this day. The word deacon means, as a Greek word, diakonos, means servant or minister. Did I have you turn to Romans chapter 15? Turn there if I didn't. Romans chapter 15. The word means servant or minister. There's a counterpart to the word that's translated oftentimes slave is the Greek word doulos. The Greek word for servant is diakonos. The Greek word for slave is doulos. A lot of times you'll see those together. I'm having you turn to Romans chapter 15 verse 8 because I want to show you something that's true of Christ. Paul has just been writing to the church at Rome. He's been dealing with sort of different beliefs within the same faith and how we are to walk with each other and still enjoy the same table of uh, the Word and table of the Lord's Supper. In the beginning of chapter 15, he has some of these verbs to bear with the failings of the weak, uh, please your neighbor for his good, to build him up, uh, live in harmony, on down into verse 6 and 7, Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. And then he uses the reference of Christ. He's speaking to a church, and he uses Christ's example for, their, uh, for these verbs he's called them to. Verse 8, he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant, diakonon, there it is, that Greek word that we're considering this morning, to the circumcised. Christ became, he wasn't, he was sitting at the Father's right hand, but he took on flesh and became a servant to the circumcised or to God's people, to the Jews. We're going to come back to this verse later on, really at the end of the morning. But right here, as we begin our time together, I just want to consider that, first of all, this Christ that we've been learning about in Hebrews, that Hebrews chapter 1 has told us and taught us that he is the heir of all things, that he is the creator that he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, that he's the, one, the, the sustainer, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, that he's redeemer and ruler. You hear those seven things and you're thinking, wow, this is massive. This Jesus is so much. He's these seven massive things, but he's also servant. They don't seem to fit together, and they should leave us just pause for a moment. But wait a second. He is the heir, the creator, the sustainer, the radiance of the glory of God, the imprint of his nature, the redeemer and the ruler, and he's also the Akinos. should leave us surprised. I'm going to encourage you, if you weren't here Wednesday night, to go back and listen to Wednesday night's Bible study. They're online. Those of you who are here, you know the treasure that we, I, I, I should say, I was about to say stumbled upon, but stumbled upon implies that it's coincidence. 
But the treasure that the Holy Spirit led us to as a church on Wednesday night, just moving on into Exodus chapter 21, he's just given us the law in Exodus chapter 21. He starts to give us the details of how the people of God are supposed to live together, the laws and the rules. And one of the first laws is dealing with slaves. And there were slaves in the context of ancient Israel. And slaves in that context were oftentimes serving as, in many ways, indentured servants. If they couldn't pay a debt, or they had some, something they owed someone, they may go into their service as one of their slaves. And something we learned there, I'm going to give you about a two-minute summary of what we learned on Wednesday night, but I really encourage you to go listen to it if you didn't, is that they had an opportunity. Every seventh year, they could go free. Now, it's sort of unclear. There are a couple different texts there that don't really give us a lot of clarity there. It may be a pointed year that everybody goes free, or it may be after serving six years that you go free in the seventh year. But the point is, you go free for nothing. You don't have to purchase your freedom. You just go free. But if a slave, in having that opportunity on the seventh year to go, to go free, said, you know what? So say he had a wife and children during his time of slavery or before his time of slavery. He said, you know what, master? I want before God and witnesses to make this statement that I love you. I love you, my master. I love my wife and I love my children that I will submit to being your slave forever. And what they did, the the details there in, in Exodus chapter 21 tell us that the slave would submit to publicly making that profession before the judges or before the elders and he would come up to a doorpost, submit his ear to the doorpost, and they would take what Morris Bean uses on his leather work, an awl and a hammer, and they would put a punch a hole in his ear. And he had this visual testimony forevermore of his love for his master, of his love for his wife, and his love for his children, and that he would be his slave forever. Now, it's pretty nifty, but it's more than nifty. You know, it just doesn't tell us how things are going to operate in Israel because what, what we found Wednesday night is we found in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, don't turn there, I'm just going to summarize it for you, takes us to a reference in Psalm number 40 that points back to this Exodus 21 imagery. And we realize this is foreshadowing of Christ. This isn't just a nifty dealing for how we're going to deal with slaves. It's foreshadowing of what Christ did, where Christ basically says, I love my master, the father. I love the bride, and I love my children so much so that I will submit to a piercing, but not in my ear, in my hands, and in my feet. And I will be a perpetual slave slash servant slash diakonos forever. It's an awesome, awesome Wednesday night study. I'll share with you a little story, a little, it's not a parable, it's one of Christ's teachings. You can just listen here or you can turn here if you'd like, Luke chapter 12. This is in a little passage that deals with being ready for Christ's return. This was one of the most startling things from the study. Scott observed this and came in my office and I thought he was going to croak. He's probably going to preach on this the next time he preaches. He told me, he said, don't steal my thunder. So I'm not stealing any thunder (laughs) at all. But we're going to take just a moment and just consider this image right here. It's in a passage that really talks about being ready for Christ's return. But I want you to pay attention to Christ and what Christ is doing in this passage. 
chapter 12, verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their masters. So in so many words, be like a bunch of servants that are waiting for their master to return. Now, in this little image, I want you to think of, while well, I've just presented Christ as the perpetual servant, I want you to think of him as the master just for the moment. And that we, like a bunch of servants, are to be ready for his return. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So we'd be ready. Blessed are those servants, those bond servants, whom the master finds awake when he comes. Now watch what Christ does, the master in this story. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. The master will dress himself for service and have the servants recline at table and he will come and serve them. This isn't just a tiny little wee snapshot of our Lord either. This is going to be a perpetual forever picture of our Lord in serving us. I guarantee in glory we're going to see him on a white throne judging because our Bibles say so. But this also tells us that that judge, that heir, that radiance, that creator, that imprint, that sustainer, that redeemer, that ruler will tend to us in glory. Does that just blow you away? That he will deacon us in glory. That should leave you shocked at that reality. Now, if Christ, who is all that, became that for our sake, how should this leave us? Before we even talk about specific deacons, what I want you to see is that this has to do with all of us because we're united to Christ. All of us, if by faith you are trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are united to Christ, and we are to take on, in many ways, His character and His story. We, too, are to be servants, deacons, every last one of us. Listen to this little story in Mark. It's an unfortunate story, but it really is sort of the human story. Listen to the human problem with the teaching of what Christ says. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They've been following Christ for a while. They see his rise to fame and thinking he's going to be king. And he said to them, Okay, what do you guys want? What do you want me to do? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one on your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, <laughs> You don't even know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with, with which I am baptized? And they said to him, Oh, yeah, we're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Those, they wanted that position too. 
And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus called them to him and said to them, I just can't imagine they didn't call them little children. Come sit down. Let me show you what really matters. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, Diakonos. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, Dulas. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is an unfortunate contrast between what we are prone to as we vie for being power brokers and we vie for glory and what God says we are called to every last one of us are called to be servants. This isn't about seven men this morning and their wives. This isn't about only our current deacons. It's about all of you because we're all called to this work. I do want you to see this passage in Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25. Beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory... And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right. Okay? Just for the next few minutes, you guys, y'all will be the sheep. Y'all have the unfortunate choice this morning of having sat on this side. So it's, it's just for the sake of just kind of climbing into the story. The goats he will place on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you deaconed me. Just look at the word in terms of what deacons do. When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we deacon you? When did we see you a stranger and, and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You deaconed me. Now for the goats, he'll say, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they will also say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will say to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If all we had is this passage, that's not all we have. But if all we had at this pa- is this passage to inform us on what the white throne judgment was to be like, you have to agree that there's no multiple choice test that's going to be passed out to everybody and see what your views are on justification. Does that matter? You bet it does. There's not going to be a fill-in-the-blank test passed out on your view of God's sovereignty and salvation. If all we had was this passage, we'd have to walk away going, wow, it looks like judgment for sheep and goats is going to be based on whether or not you deaconed those who had needs. Man, that's got to be an important passage to inform every single one of us. We're not just talking about deacons. We're talking about believers. The gospel, if rightly understood, compels us to meet people's needs. We're not saved by it. But it is an inevitable outcome of being saved. Hear it. You can't be good enough to be saved. But these sort of things, tending to the needy, is an inevitable outcome of being saved. Bottom line is, if we are his, we are compelled to all be diakonon. All of us. Now, just... So somebody wouldn't kind of zone out this morning. I felt like we needed to go there. This is about all of us to some degree, but it's also about seven particular men this morning and their wives. I'll tell you who they are. Corey Pfeiffer, Nathan Green, Key Walker, Clint Stevens, Bud Jones, Scott McCullough, and Terry Sadler. While all are called to be diakonos, some are to be recognized and appointed to the office of deacon, in the local church. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see these um, qualifications for the deacon. And I'm going to spend just a moment dealing with each of them. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's page 992 of your ESV, if you have a typical ESV, or if you have one of our blue pew Bibles. I'm going to deal with, I'm going to sort of break this little paragraph down dealing with what's observable, uh, what's spiritual, how these men are tested, and what do their wives have to do with it. So let's deal first with the observable characteristic just in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. First of all, dignified. Deacon candidates... Deacons in the church are to be reverent, reverable, and respectable. They're to be worthy of respect and honor. This man needs to be serious about important things. Secondly, he's not to be double-tongued. He's not to talk out one side of his mouth and then say something out the other. This means that he's not saying one thing in one place, but saying something else somewhere else. He's also to be consistent with his mouth in that his mouth reflects his heart. There shouldn't be a disparity between where his heart is and where his mouth is. He's not to be a mean-spirited jerk at home and a super spiritual godly dude in public. 
If the mouth reflects the heart, then it means his heart is accurately reflected in all settings. He should speak the truth and be a man who also keeps his word. All those have to do with not being double-tongued. He should speak the truth and keep his word. Third, this is a, one of the characteristics for, for elders as well. He's not to be addicted to wine. The verb here means to occupy oneself with. Paul uses the same verb later in chapter 4, speaking of Timothy and eldering. He tells Timothy, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. That give attention is the same word. So it could be understood, don't be addicted to the suds. Be addicted to, in Timothy's case, reading, exhorting, and teaching. In the deacon's case, to serving. You want to pay a lot of attention to something, pay a lot of attention to serving because that's what deacons do. Next and fourth, the deacon is not to be greedy for dishonest gain. He's not about making the quick buck or the next scheme. He's characterized as one who has big open hands. He should have the mind of Christ who, though he was rich for our sakes, became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. He should serve in order to make others gain. Then with the spiritual in verse 9. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That's the ESV. The NAS says he's to hold to the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. I like that because it gives a little more shape to mystery. This is the fuel that ignites all the deacon is and all that the deacon does is worship. They need to have a good grasp on the Word and what God tells us. They need to be like a tree planted by streams of water which bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither because they meditate on God's Word. The deep truths of the gospel are what keeps the deacon from having what I've observed already is a tendency for every man, even good men, identity amnesia. It's the deep truths of the faith that remind the deacon, you're a deacon of the church of Jesus Christ. It's faith that reminds the deacon that. The Word of God being exposed and dined on week by week. The deep mysteries of the faith, the deep truths of the faith, keep him from having amnesia. This is the one, if he goes on to say later on in, the, in, the, in this little paragraph, one who serves well, earns himself something, he's implying that maybe some guys don't. And those who don't have identity amnesia. The deep truths of the gospel are what keeps him from having this. It's there that he forgets who he is as a believer and as a servant of the body of Christ. Next, in verse 10, he's to be tested. We're going to skip verse 11 and come back to it. We're going to look at verse 10 and 12. And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. Those all have to do with being tested. First, being blameless. He must be found blameless. Now, it's a good thing that doesn't mean perfect because we wouldn't have any deacons. We wouldn't have any elders. And by the way, you wouldn't be here either. <laughs> blameless doesn't mean 
perfect. It means that this man is to be free of notorious and persistent fault. He's not withholding in some area of disobedience or sin. There's not to be any fractures. Specifically, this word blameless means that he is all there. He's completely in. There's no fractures. It's like Job was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. The deacon, the proper deacon, is to walk with God. The people of God should be able to say this about every single deacon in this church. That guy is all there. There will be seasons where a deacon's called away to challenging times at work, but the challenge is to make sure it's a season and not a pattern. Because deacons, by definition, are to be blameless and all there. Verse 12, he's to be the husband of one wife. This means that the deacon is to be a one-woman man with eyes for his wife only. He's not to be checking out the ladies at work or at Walmart. I don't know where, that's not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> that just probably wouldn't happen now that, I, now that that's come out of my mouth. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Um, okay. A deacon. How in the world can a deacon serve the bride well if his heart is divided and his eyes are divided between his bride and others? Real or virtual or imaginary. This does not mean we believe that a divorced man cannot be a deacon. When Paul speaks of divorce, he calls it divorced. Divorced men, I've seen this weird thing, I've observed this weird thing that I, it breaks my heart when I see it. A divorced man feels like he's damaged goods. And I tell you, in Christ, there's redemption and grace, and that man is not damaged goods, and God can use you for his glory. He's using men in this body who've been previously married. The deacon can be previously married, and he can be repentant about his divorce, and he can be remarried and be all there, and God can use him for his own glory. Lastly, it's to manage his children and his households well. Here the deacon is a strong shepherd to his family. He's leading his family well. How in the world could he serve and mobilize the house of God if his own house is not in order? Now, as for the wives, going back to verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. We've dealt with qualifications of a deacon, but these qualifications have to do with the deacon's wife, and they can also be translated back up to the qualifications for the elder. They would have to do with the elder's wives as well. So these next couple of minutes are especially for Jennifer Pfeiffer, Holly Green, Holly Walker, Kate Stevens, Jill Jones, Lori McCullough, and Teresa Sadler. They're especially for these wives, but not only for these wives, because they're also for the current deacon's wives and also for the elder's wives. She is to be dignified, just like the husband, reverent, reverable, respectable, worthy of respect and honor. She needs to be serious about important things. She's to be a woman of upright character and integrity. That means that she's not to be a fake. It means she's not to be disingenuous. She's not to be uh, insincere, but she's to be genuine, teachable, humble, 
and real. They're to be worthy of respect, honor, admiration, love, and affection of God's people. Next, they're not to be slanderers. This word in the Greek is the word diabolos. If you know Spanish, you know enough to know that that has to do with Satan. And in fact, that word, diabolos, is translated 35 times in the New Testament as Satan and three times when referring to a person. I want to say this. It's quite Satan-like to slander and run people down. Even if we're not talking about deacons' wives, I'm talking about anybody. It's quite Satan-like to slander people and run them down. The wives of deacons and elders have to be very careful with what they know. They do. They have a front row seat to seeing some awesome God-glorifying things, but they also have a front row seat to some heartbreaks. But they're not to be talkative about those things. They can burn the house down with their tongues, and they're to guard their mouths with what they see and know. The wife of the deacon and elder should help their husbands preserve, encourage, and build up God's people, not burn their houses down and the house of God by slandering them. Third, she's to be sober-minded. She's to be vigilant. That's what that means. Watching their tongues and their hearts and helping the elder or the deacon guard theirs. This is the opposite of the woman who's introduced later in the next book to Timothy or the next letter to Timothy in chapter 3, this self-lover that draws away weak-willed woman. This woman is to be the opposite of the weak-willed woman. This woman's serious about guarding her heart. This woman's teachable, searchable, realizing what's at stake if Satan creeps in to you and your marriage and your role as a deacon or elder's wife. She must keep a close watch over her heart lest there arise any root of bitterness unbelief, sinful practices of life, speech or thought, neglecting the things of God or the people of God. And fourth, she's to be faithful in all things. It means she's to be trustworthy, dependable, reliable. The elder or deacon should be able to trust her in everything. Now, 3.13 tells us what's in store for those deacons who serve well. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. A good standing and great confidence comes from faithful service as a deacon because you have a front row seat to the hands of Christ ministering to God's people and to those that have needs. It's a wonderful place to be. Now, What are these guys to do? Not just the seven, but the rest of our deacons. The qualifications are very specific, but how they serve is not. It's left open, and it implies that there's to be some flexibility to how deacons serve. We had a term in the Marine Corps. You have heard the term semper fidelis. means always faithful. We also had a term semper gumby, always flexible. And that's the way the deacon is to think. And that's the way we as a church are to think about our diaconate. Because it may change from week to week and month to month how our deacons are serving. They're to be flexible and responsive in how they serve. There's some ways that deacons will find niches. Many of our deacons have found niches in how they serve. There's one sitting back there in the sound booth. We have deacons that are often serving in sound or in music or in finances or having to do with facilities. We have a deacon that's coming on for appointment now that's working primarily with youth. Deacons probably will. I can't say should, but they will probably have a niche. But it's not the only place they serve. 
they will probably have a way that they serve especially, but it's not serving exclusively in that place. Benevolence would be another likely niche. While these deacons will have these niches, it won't be the only place they serve because all these deacons have one thing in common. They have two things in common. The first thing they have in common is you, the people of God. The second thing they have in common is Greenville. It's bigger than you and your niche, deacons. While that's very important, it reaches out to this entire church body and it reaches out to our context, Greenville, and our surrounding area. Mobilizing, there'll be times where the deacons are to mobilize God's people, grabbing up God's people, as my dad often grabbed me. I didn't share a story with you early on this in the sermon, but one time I remember my dad taking me, I remember even as a young boy going with him to meet needs of the poor. There was a man that he ministered to for years. He was a, a high school buddy of his named Billy. He was sort of an MVP sort of guy, BMOC sort of guy. I mean, he was uh, just all that in high school. And after he graduated high school, he started drinking and became a full-fledged alcoholic. But he had a family. He had wife and kids, at least kind of off and on sort of family. And my dad made a purpose to minister to this family. And I remember times where my dad's grabbing me up as a deacon in training. I didn't know it. And he probably wasn't even mindful of it. He's grabbing me up to go meet those needs. I remember one occasion bringing Christmas gifts to that family, and one of the kids was just old enough to call my dad fatso. (laughs) And I'm thinking, it made my dad so mad, too. Just a little bitty kid calling him fatso. He got in the car, he was just steamed, but I watched him cool down saying, you know, ministry is not selective, though. Ministry is not just for the easy, but even for little snot-nosed kids that are sitting there with presents that they wouldn't have unless you bought it for them calling you fatso. I thought, man, I had a front row seat to deaconing, and I was grabbed up, as the deacons should do, especially with their own boys and their girls. But those around you, too, grab them up and go deacon together. There'll be times where the deacons serve together to you or serve together with you. There are times every Sunday where we gather at this table, you may not realize these elements are prepared by deacons. So we've all been on the receiving end of some deacon ministry just in taking the elements each week and gathering up the offerings each week. They are being stewards even for a few minutes and counting that and sorting that and recording what you've given to God. Our deacons have their fingerprints all over this church. And the key with these guys as they serve in their niche or as they serve in the body and they serve in the community is cohesive communication and walking together as a team. Walking in your niche and serving as a team. Now, I should say, because you're good servants who love the master, who love the bride, and love the children. Now, I'm going to end with an observation. An observation about our current state of deacons and what my burden is and hope is for the future. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. I'd like for you to turn there. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 10. Page 975 of your ESV. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, I'm going to say this publicly, 
and affirm our deacons right now, that verse 10b, especially those to those of, who are of the household of faith, man, you guys have nailed this. You guys are so in tune. Our current deacons are so in tune with the needs of our body, it blows my mind. There are needs that the elders don't even know about that have been identified and met. And I bet many of you can testify to this. There are people in this body that have been on the receiving end of deacons serving the body well. And I want to tell you right now, man, men, I affirm you. You have had a special and intentional ministry, especially to those among the household of faith. You have nailed this. Anybody in this body agree with that? Amen. I mean, is there amen? Amen? Seriously. <laughs> Serving well, meeting the needs of this body. That's coming to shape in these last couple of years. What I'm burdened for in these next couple, with these seven and with our current 14, what we're about to have at 21, what I'm burdened for is the first part of that verse is that as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. What I'm burdened for is this, because we're doing this well. So don't do this at this expense, but don't neglect this for this. It's both and, and deacons lead out in this ministry of mercy to the needy, to our community, to those in the public square where Christ's ministry was. The church is to be engaging the public square, and deacons lead out in that. Now, let me show you a couple of passages. Go back to Romans chapter 15. It's where we're going to end. I'm going to show you something there, and you can listen to this passage in Exodus. Romans chapter 15. We're about to land the plane. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 6. Just listen to this passage, because I want you with your, with your eyeballs on Romans chapter 15 in a second. Listen to this. You know the story with the, the Israelites. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. Now, we don't know exactly how many years they've been enslaved. You can't say they've been enslaved for 400 years because the front end of that 400-year period, they're riding the coattails of Joseph. They're living large in Goshen. So it probably wasn't a specific year that they all became slaves. It probably happened gradually. But by the end of this 400 years, they're all slaves, and they're beat down. They're making bricks. And by this point, making them without, or they're about to be making them without straw, which is a big deal. Making bricks in the first place is going to be hard work. But as slaves, they're in a bad situation. And God's speaking with Moses, who's going to lead them out of slavery. Okay, this is a great deal. He's going to lead them out of slavery, and listen to what he says to them. I'm going to just start in verse 6. Again, this is for my reference, because I don't want you looking at this. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I'm the Lord. Moses, here's what I want you to tell these slaves. Tell them, I'm the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Now, chances are, if you're enslaved and you hear that, you're going to be like, yes. I've been begging for this for a long time. This is seriously good news. God goes on to say, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. 
Moses is bound to be hearing this going, man, this is seriously good news. And you're probably thinking that when he shows up, they're going to be like, yes. So Moses speaks thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses. Let me tell you why they didn't listen to Moses, why they couldn't hear from God. is because what it says next, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They couldn't hear from Moses and God because they were so beat down. I want to introduce the image of a deacon actually being part of lifting the burden of slavery for those that have needs, those in our community, those in the people of God. There are times where you've had a financial need where you could hardly hear from God. And a deacon's come alongside and helped you lift that burden where you start tuning in again. I've seen it happen. Deacons, think about when you serve well, you're helping people hear from God. We say week by week. We preach week by week. This is true. And when deacons come alongside, people can actually hear from God and say, Shaul is. It is true. And God is good. Now, Romans chapter 15 is where we're going to land the plane. I didn't read as far as where we're going right now. But it's the same verse I started the morning with. For I tell you that Christ became a diaconon to the circumcised, to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness. Christ became a deacon to the Jews to show God's truthfulness. Just let that hit you for a minute, deacons. When you deacon well... Current deacons and deacons that are called, when you deacon well, you're proving that this is true. The thought of us being a church without deacons serving well, the thought of me preaching week by week without deacons serving well, I'm seeing it now, I'm going to think, that's ridiculous. (laughs) We could have the most illuminating, I don't know, earth-shaking sermons in the whole wide world, but if deacons aren't serving well, everybody just kind of walks and says, yeah, that's cool, it's nifty. But when deacons serve well, it shows that what God says is true. Look what it goes on to say. Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Christ became a deacon in order to confirm that what the patriarchs and prophets said were true. Deacons, realize when you serve well, you're saying, hey, what Moses and those guys, Isaiah, all those other guys said, is true. By your service, you confirm that the promises that the patriarchs and prophets made are true. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That one just shocks me. The thought of us being, now that word Gentiles is actually the word ethnos, which means nations, peoples. We have three different global works that we're part of. And the thought of those three different works actually being fruitful works without the notion of being a servant and deacon on the field, to me, would be foreign because it's that deaconing on the field that's going to say what God says is true and it's going to draw the Gentiles or the ethnos in to say, yo, God is glorified. I see the glory of God. I can't even hope for you to see the glory of God without deacons serving well. And when they do... They do what this alpha deacon did here. They say the patriarchs, what they said were true. God is true. And the Gentiles will be brought in to see the glory of God. (laughs) The notion of the church being the church without deacons serving well is a farce. It's not going to happen. But when deacons serve well, man, the church comes into its own. 
and it's a bright, shiny light on a city, or on a hilltop. It's a shining city on a hilltop. Man, that's got to encourage our present deacons and challenge and encourage our future ones that we're about to appoint. I'd like these men to come up at this point, and given what we said about your wives, if your wives are here, some of these deacons' wives are likely serving in nursery, and we, prayer reaches to the nursery, so we'll pray for them. But I'd like for Corey Pfeiffer to come up, Nathan Green. Come with your wives if they're with you this morning. Key Walker, Clint Stevens, Bud Jones, Scott McCullough, and Terry Sadler. Elders, y'all come on up too. Let's pray for these guys. I'll tell y'all and I'll tell our current deacons, if I can just for 10 seconds have our current deacons stand. Stand if you would. Okay, y'all can sit. Thank you. Between the men standing and the men standing up here and their wives and the wives that are connected to the men that are sitting out there, I'll tell you right now that Christy and I would have, wouldn't have dreamt of this eight years ago. The other elders that were part of this work early on, <laughs> are you kidding me? Could God possibly bring families and men, marriages, women, wives like this? He did, and that's in spite of us. Trust and know any of you that are visiting with us, it's not because of any superman or any super scheme. It's because God did it in spite of us. And it blows my mind to see the, the families that are standing up here today. It's a privilege for us to pray for y'all and lay hands on y'all this morning. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for these families. Uh, so blessed by the ministry that they've been part of already and an unrecognized ministry as they are serving in so many different ways to their family, to their small groups, to others in need. Lord, as we appoint them this morning, we confess and we know and trust that we've not been hasty in laying on hands. They, they have been tested and they've proven blameless. Lord, we pray that you'll be glorified in and through these families, through these men and their wives, that they will be the hands and mouths of Christ as they minister to this body and as we hopefully in these next few years grow in our ministry to this community. Lord, we want you to be glorified thankful for the role of the deacon in that work. We pray that these men and the men that are seated, that are our current deacons, that will be walking illustrations of what the gospel should be looked at like lived out. I pray too that you'll keep these men in a place of humble teachability, humble service, teaching and serving because you're worth it and because you're good and because you demonstrated it and what your son did for us, that that will be the fuel a deep confidence in the faith will be the fuel, the deep affection for the deep truths of the gospel will be the fuel for their ministry. We pray, Lord, that they'll have a front row seat to what you're about and what you're doing, not only in our church, but also in our community, and that for your glory. Love you so much, Lord. We're so blessed with these families, and we give you all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated, and one, something I'll ask of the men we're about to have the Lord's Supper. Y'all go ahead and be seated. But we're, we're about to have the Lord's Supper. I'd like for these newly appointed deacons to help us distribute the elements this morning if you're not serving with the worship team. In 1 Corinthians 11, 
we have the Lord um, serving the supper. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the obvious thing, when he's saying what this is to be about, he's taking the form of a servant and serving. And the deeper truth there is that what he's serving is himself. He's saying, this is my body, this is me. And so he serves, but he gives of himself. And then he goes on in chapter 12, uh, Paul does to explain, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So just as Christ served and in doing so gave of himself, each of us, as we take this supper, we're to remember that and know that we are to serve in a like manner and give of ourselves. Philippians 2 talks about us having the mind of Christ and says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, think about the things Ben talked about this morning that the deacons do, the encouragement, the comfort, the lifting up so you can hear from the Lord. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. That's the mindset of a servant. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it says as we take this supper, we proclaim the death of Christ until he returns. And in proclaiming his death, here we see that he served to the point of death. So we're proclaiming his service, and we are also saying that we will take part in that to be the body of Christ as he calls us to be. Proclaim the death of Christ, and in doing so, we proclaim the service of Christ. And we are saying that we will take part in that service. Take and eat. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we consider what was accomplished um, by his blood, my hope is that we would take this with truly thankful hearts, take and drink. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue in worship, I pray that we would uh, be cheerful givers, um, taking our cues from um, our Lord, uh, who gave wholeheartedly and completely. Uh, we pray that you would allow um, every part of our worship to be wholehearted. I pray that um, the things that we continue in in song, that we are not proclaiming things with our lips that are far from our hearts, but that we would be near you, that, that our hearts would be full of love and thankfulness uh, toward you for what you have accomplished that we never could. We love you and we praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
very briefly, and then we'll be dismissed. At the end of every service, pretty much every week, we encourage you to be a part of a small group. The reason that we do that is because a lot of the things you heard about this morning, the serving, knowing others well enough to know what their needs are, to be known well enough by others for them to know what your needs are, to seek opportunities together to serve each other and then to serve this community. Different churches have different structures. Sometimes they're Sunday schools. What we have here is small groups and they meet throughout the course of the week. We have a little handout that says, what is a small group to inform you of just that very thing um, that we put on the table out there. And Derek, where's Derek? Derek, can you raise your hand or something? That's Derek's hand. Um, if you'll find Derek, uh, he's actually going to go stand by that table at the end of the uh, service so that um, if you have any questions about small groups, um, he can help you answer them. And he knows the answer to every question about small groups, so that's why we put him there. But on this it says, what is a small group? Small groups are highly valued at Crosspoint because they provide a space for believers to work out their salvation and community. In small groups, we walk together in discussion, prayer, and accountability to discover how God's truth applies to the specifics of our lives. We flesh out the details of our faith, encourage each other as we grow in Christ-likeness, and exercise our spiritual gifts to serve one another and build up the body of Christ. We encourage you to become part of a group and fully invest in what God is doing at Crosspoint. Derek even wrote that, so he's the guy to go to after this. Um, it is a sweet encouragement to, to know and to be known and to walk together. And it's very helpful to make sure we're not just hearers of the word only and, and not doers of the word. So um, on the back of this, there's also a schedule that has where the small groups meet, contact information if you have any questions. Um, so we encourage you to be a part of that. Let's stand. I want to pray for our newly appointed deacons and the rest of the body, and then we'll be dismissed. So let's stand and pray. Lord, what a sweet privilege it is this morning to see um, seven men step into this uh, uh, new area of possibility for service uh, via the uh, role of a deacon. I pray for each of them, and I pray for their families. I pray that they would um, gain that good standing and that is mentioned in Scripture. I pray that they would take great joy in serving the body and in serving others. And I pray that each of us um, would see Christ as the eternal servant and know that we don't just serve because there are needs, though it is necessary we know the needs and serve accordingly, but we serve out of love. I pray that you would encourage every member of this body to serve out of love for our master, to serve out of love for our bride, to serve out of love for the children. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we might be encouraged by it. You are great and greatly to be praised. I pray that in every area of our lives, we would try to make that reality known to others and to live more fully in that reality ourselves. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a good day.